Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Super, Super Dharma, Dharma Bros. Bros. So I am Super Dharma Bro, Kevin. I am a Super Dharma Bro, Chris. And today we are going to discuss metta, which is translated either as loving kindness or goodwill. In the Theravada context, I know that in uh, your tradition, Chris, it's a little bit more all-encompassing, I guess, would be the way that I would uh, describe it. But before we get into that deep philosophical discussion, uh, I was thinking, you know, what would be a good lead into an episode? And I thought that Chris and I should share some of our oddest, strangest, or most unusual questions that we have been asked about Buddhism or, you know what, Chris, you've probably gotten some very interesting life questions. Maybe you could share one of those. Um, so I'm going to let Chris go first because mine takes a little bit of explaining. Oh man, yours is so good. Uh, mine is not funny, interesting, but it is existentially kind of interesting. Um, the number one question I get from people around Buddhism, um, especially back when we used to do the Buddhist community at Ithaca College, was after a couple of sessions, people would come up to me and say, am I Buddhist? And I was always like, I don't know, are you? I feel like that's a pretty simple one. But then thinking back on it, I realized that's a question I think we all kind of have to ask in our practice at some point. We've talked a bunch about how people approach Buddhism differently and from different perspectives. And I think most people spend a lot of time being Buddhist without being aware. Um, so that's always my favorite question is the, am I Buddhist? And like, I got that one like six times probably. Uh, too bad you didn't have one of those checklists where it was like, well, do you believe this, that, and the other? And then be like, yes, you are. Or nope, sorry, try again. My checklist is really short, which was, are you? And they go, yeah. Or they'd go, no. And they'd go, well, there you go. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best I can come up with. All right. Kevin, what's yours? Oh boy, mine's very interesting. Uh, let me tell you. Uh, so ironically, all these came up at you know the college Buddhist community uh, because I guess people have time to think about these questions, and so the question I got was: Say you have a conjoined person, so you know, like conjoined twins, that type of situation, right? And like one side is like the evil side, and is just like I'm going to kill people, I'm going to steal things, yada yada yada, you know, do all these uh, horrible things. But the other side, you know, which is the more passive observer side, can't control that side, is like, no, don't do that. That's terrible. Uh, so the question was related to uh, rebirth and karma. And so it's like, so how would that work for that particular individual, which it's not really an individual if I, you know, if I really think about it, it's like two individuals just put into one body, right. basically. And so I'm like, well, so you're. So what you're saying here is that there's one consciousness that's saying, I want to do evil. And there's another consciousness that's saying, no, we should abstain from evil. Uh, therefore, at the time of death, it's not the same consciousness that's being reborn. There would be a relinking consciousness for each one. Therefore, the one that's like, no, we should abstain from those things. I don't want to do those things is going to have a different rebirth than the other part where they're like i want to do evil things you know because they're fun and so that's how i sort of went about interpreting that question i know that it's more complicated than that because karma and rebirth are complicated processes in my tradition 
Uh, so I really oversimplified, but I think that's the only sufficient answer I could have given on the spot right there that night. I know this isn't, I know this isn't the question I should be asking, but like, how do you go, how is the body divided so that one could like totally murder and the other couldn't? I feel like, I feel like, like that would limit the murder radius to within an arm reach. You know what I mean? Like if like, if one leg and one arm was like, I'm not going forward with it, like you'd have to totally murder out of convenience at that point. I, that's not the point of this. I realize right, that. Right. But like, as soon as you said, that, I was like, wait, how would the evil one go about murdering? That seems really hard. Well, and that's, I think that, and that wasn't specified in the question. So I think I sort of got away with that. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> they could just be mean on the internet or something too. I mean, they could do other mean things. Right. You know, <laughs> right. Not, not like murder or anything, but you're right. Maybe that'd just be one side. Yeah. You know, yeah. the one side is like, and the other is like, run away. <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah it evens out so it's even karma they're fine it's great okay great well now that we've got that all cleared up uh on their karma uh credit card or debit card or whatever. now what i suggest you do is this have yourself seated with your backs as straight as possible but not stiff don't put words on you can't help words running in your head. Don't be sure. Let's move to the topic at hand for this evening. I can't believe we're doing this in the evening, but uh, we have to do what we have to do, right? I think it's going to work better because my dog isn't going to bark as much. Right. Uh, Just throwing that out there. That could be some All benefits. right. There is, that could be a benefit. So the topic tonight is meta. And sort of how do we integrate that into a practice, whether it be a Buddhist practice or just if we're a random person, um, what are the benefits of it? Uh, so first, I'm going to start out with a very bad joke. Uh, so, Chris, what do you call a person that is focused on loving kindness? Um, Kevin, it's um, in the title notes. I know the answer. Um, <laughs> I know the answer. Um, you can't a meditator. <laughs> I hate this podcast so much. Oh, well, I guess in season two, it's going to be me and someone else then. (laughs) Uh, Uh, But anyway, meta, which is loving kindness or goodwill, depending on which teacher uh, you sort of put invest your time in, is one of the most important and popular sort of Buddhist concepts and practices. Um, But, you know, Chris, sometimes when you talk about what something is, we got to talk about what it is not first. So let's start with what meta is not first. And I don't know what's up with the accent. Why did... <laughs> <laughs> I like nighttime, Kevin. This is fun. Okay, so um, I sort of just wanted to put out there that meta or loving kindness and goodwill. So if you hear meta, that's what I mean. It does not mean we go around and we hug and kiss people and tell them we love them. That's not what we're talking about here. And that'd be very odd and strange behavior. Um, And I would tell that person to get away from me uh, right off the bat. Um, But it, and it's not really a goal necessarily to use meta exclusively during a meditation practice. This is something that's implemented in our everyday lives when situations arise Meta is also not a jealous, possessive uh, process, uh, which sometimes occurs when people get attached to their loved ones. Um, And, you know, that's a completely different uh, topic. 
Um, it is also not a practice where it's like one and done. I meditate on meta and then all of a sudden I'm really great at it and I don't need any more practice. It's something that sort of accumulates gradually. Any additional notes uh, that I missed, Chris? No, I think that's good. Um, yeah, it's I, I kind of think of it as a sort of like, I'm mixing different Buddhist concepts and like heavenly abodes here, but you know, it's, I I think of it as like love with equanimity, right? You know, we, we, when we have love for a family member or a spouse or a dog or like, you know, anything like that, um, it's a kind of more intense sort of love. And it's a love that I'm going to say is quasi conditional and based on the relationship. Mm-hmm. The meta thing, meta love is just, you have that feeling for everyone, regardless of your relationship to them. Right. Good and or bad. Right. And we're going to sort of get to how that process works out a little bit later. Um, but let's focus more on what meta really is because we just said, you know, what is it not? Uh, so meta um, and this is more a Thanosaur Biku perspective than uh, anyone else, is sort of a feeling of goodwill toward another being. So it's not just human beings. It can be, uh, I have this thing against ants. Uh, if they get into my apartment, I'm like, okay, where are the ant traps? Um, so practicing goodwill toward ants, even though I'm not particularly fond of having them in my apartment. Uh, and it means sort of a wish for the person or being to be free of ill will, affliction, and the magical dukkha word, which means stress, suffering, or unsatisfactoriness. And I like to think of meta as a feeling of friendship or camaraderie toward other beings. So not like my romantic lover, but like a good friend of mine. And uh, typically the process of harnessing and increasing this sort of goodwill feeling is a very gradual one. Although, along with other things, I would argue that uh, some people progress quicker than others. Uh, someone who's, you know, quick to anger might take a little more time for this to, t- to sink in compared to someone who's very uh, kind-natured. And often, metta is increased through meditation practice. And in the Theravada tradition, we have the metta sutta. And so we would chant and recite that to get our mind geared toward that. Now, Chris, uh, in your tradition you see that um, meta is sort of more all-encompassing. Can you explain that? Yeah, and I actually went ahead and kind of looked up um, how it's delineated in your tradition to kind of figure out better how it's a little different in mine or how it's approached differently. Um, And I'll probably touch on this more later, but in Mahayana and Vajrayana Buddhism, so much of our path is tied up in compassion. And the whole point of the enlightenment exercise, if you will, is to free other beings. So for us, it's always tied to a kind of like deep love and a deep sort of like empathy towards others like that is inherently a part of it which i think for you guys is kind of broken down as karuna which is more of like the like seeing a being suffering and feeling empathy i'd argue that meta is not just the absence of wishing harm or negative things i think there's there's like kind of two images 
stereotypes of the Buddhist we get. Um, one is the like loving, smiling, happy all the time, warm one. And the other one is that like sitting cross-legged, staring vacantly at a wall. Like I have no feelings. Um, both are potentially a little off. I like the happier one a little bit more. <laughs> um, but my point being that an absence of hate is not the presence of love. Um, so I would argue that like fostering meta is when compassion becomes our default state, if you will. Um, th- there's a kind of bitter sweetness to abiding in the meta state, if you will, or kind of having that default of compassion, which is that you kind of are recognizing the suffering of others as well. And that the, the universal suffering all, of all things is the root of that compassion in a way for us, for, for a lot of the Bajrana practices that we do. And that suffering becomes the great equalizer. So as we reflect on our own pain and the pain of others, we start to have empathy. Um, and so to really reflect on meta and to internalize that compassion requires just a certain amount of, I'd say, rawness, which can sometimes feel a little uncomfortable. Um, I know for myself, meta and compassion was a thing in my practice that kind of showed up later. Um, and I spent a lot of time when I started feeling that kind of love also needing to balance or reconcile it with a certain amount of kind of pain that I felt as I went through that. Um, so I don't know if I defined anything any better there, but I just kind of added more and more complexity to it maybe. Right, right. And um, the caution that Dennis Urobiku has in his work, and we'll put the link in so that people can uh, uh, read it, is that there are going to be people who will not accept like warm, loving kindness because they don't like you or something. And so if you practice goodwill toward that person, it's very difficult for them to say like, you can't practice goodwill on me. You cannot wish that I'm free of dukkha, for example. Um, that's not their, they can choose not to accept it, I guess, but we can still choose to practice it toward that person, um, obviously, um, even if they don't accept it. Um, but yeah. it's just that they'd be more willing to accept, oh, well, you're wishing me goodwill as opposed to, oh, the warm, you know, friendliness, uh, the fuzzy bear sort of experience. You know, some people would be like, uh, yeah, I don't need that. <laughs> and so that's what his caution was. A great, a great analogy that I heard once, and I believe this is a Zen koan, um, so it's outside of my tradition, um, around bodhicitta, which is the fostering of compassion in the way that a bodhisattva does for all things, which for us is kind of our main part of practice. And the question came up uh, to, the, to the master, what is bodhicitta? And his answer was, turning your pillow in the night because Zen masters always have a vague koan. Um, But if you think about it, one interpretation of that story is so turning your pillow in the night, it's instinctive. It's something you just do. You don't have the thought like, I'm going to turn my pillow over to the cool side or I'm going to fluff it or I'm going to do this to optimize comfort. In that sleepy state, you just do it. You know, um, and I'd argue that maybe when we foster meta deeply, it's kind of like that. 
it's it's just our default state that we're feeling, you know? Right. And um, let's get to sort of how this process works. So I'm going to sort of take a step-by-step process. What am I, what am I talking about? A step-by-step explanation of the process that mm-hmm. I've read about uh, from the teachers in my tradition. Uh, so typically, you know, we sort of start out in meditation, sort of just like we usually do, you know, you know, we're trying to focus on the breath, you know, or, you know, sort of calm our mind down uh, a little bit. Um, And then we start with wishing ourselves goodwill, wishing ourselves meta. May I be free from enmity, free of ill will, free of affliction, free from suffering. May I be happy. May I not be separated from the good fortune I have attained as owner of my karma. And we start with ourselves first, because it's very difficult to love someone else or be friendly with someone else. If we're, you know, if we think we're the ugliest people, you know, on the face of the planet, you know, physical, mental, or otherwise. And so I think of meta in that respect, when starting with yourself as a reflection of ourselves in a way. And now I would focus on the awareness of my feelings to discern whether I have that feeling of goodwill toward myself. If not, I keep focusing on, may I be free from enmity and, and so on and so forth. Just keep sort of repeating that sort of like, it's sort of like a mantra, uh, to be honest. Um, but if I feel like, okay, that's sufficient, let's uh, move it and expand it, then I might pick someone from my family. So maybe, um, may my sister be free from enmity and repeat that formula, free of ill will, of affliction, from suffering. May my sister be happy. May she not be suffering from good fortune she has attained as owner of her karma. And so that's sort of like the loved one perspective. And then you would use that same formula for someone you feel neutral about. Maybe someone you saw, uh, for an example for me we would be, you know, some person that I saw at the store that I don't really know, um, maybe an employee at the store and apply that formula. And all the, the whole time we're being aware of whether we are having that goodwill toward ourselves and the people that we're directing it towards. And then you would apply that to someone that you dislike. So I strongly dislike Donald Trump. It usually doesn't get this far because I haven't been practicing a lot recently since and on me. Um, But if it got to that stage, I could pick someone that I dislike uh, to practice that goodwill toward. And this is uh, sort of like one step that I struggle with with meditation. Um, But it's about practice uh, and getting better. Uh, there are also some formulations where you start with yourself, then you maybe extend to your household, or in my case, my apartment complex, uh, then to the beings in the neighborhood, your town and city, of your country, and then all beings on the planet, all beings of the cosmos. Um, but most, I think that one is, you know, for more advanced meditators on this particular topic. Um, I think starting with yourself and then a loved one, a neutral person, then somebody you dislike is a good formula to start out with. Um, and if you can, but if you can get that far and extend uh, meta to all beings of the cosmos, by all means, go ahead and do that. Uh, now, Chris, you offer sort of like an alternative sort of uh, prescription. So can you give us a little bit of insight into that? Yeah. And the the concept is effectively the same. Uh, The method and the methodology is probably a little different. Um, The practice I do 
was called Tongwen, which probably a lot of you have heard of. Um, in Tibetan, it means giving, taking, or giving, receiving. Um, and this is a practice that people do often sometimes kind of jump into a little early. Um, in Tibetan practice, it's something that occurs a little later as you're, as you're practicing meditation. Um, but just in general, it involves a little more visualization because we love pretty pictures and cool, dramatic things. Um, and it's centered around the most immediate discomfort in your own life, typically. Um, so what you're meditating on kind of moves and you use it as a case study. Um, so for example, the way I typically use this is if I sit down, I'm meditating, you know, do prayers, rituals, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just sitting and calm abiding meditation. And I am not abiding in calm because I'm distracted by, you know, something I'm angry about or I'm feeling sick or I'm feeling tired or I'm feeling bad. I take whatever that thing is. And I basically, I recognize the thing and I breathe in the antidote to whatever that thing is. So if I'm angry, I bring in love. If I'm sad, I bring in joy. If I'm, you know, feeling hung up and anxious on something, I breathe in equanimity and I breathe out that bad thing. Um, And, you know, I visualize what that thing looks like as I breathe it out. I visualize what the good thing looks like as I breathe it in. I do that for myself. And then I think of someone who I deeply love who has felt that same bad thing. So, you know, a wife, partner, friend, something like that. And I go, okay, well, now I've got this good thing and they've got that bad thing. And I know they've got that bad thing. I'm going to breathe in their bad thing and give them my good thing. And then just like Kevin was talking about, we then extend that to like, you know, maybe a, a friend, but not not like a deep, deep friend. And then we can extend that to like, yeah, I, I, I use people who give me food all the time, like cashiers, blah, 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 because they always look like they're having the worst day, you know, um, especially now, like everyone's got the COVID masks on and they're tired and they're bleaching their hands all the time, you know, and then you extend it to this person who you don't really have you don't know who they are, but you can extrapolate from your experience with them what, they've, what they're going through. And you keep doing that until you get to a person who you cannot stand. Um, oftentimes for me, that's the person who that interaction with them is the thing that's derailing my meditation. And now I'm imagining that situation that I was just in with that person and how it went bad. And now things have flip-flopped in a way. And I have equanimity and I'm, I'm feeling and recognizing their pain and I give them my equanimity and take their pain. And the byproduct of this whole thing is that you, you feel a general compassion towards all things at all times then. Um, you walk around and you've kind of retrained your brain to be thinking this way. Every time you look at someone, you think like, oh, what are they going through? You know, so that would probably put that more in that kind of like Karuna, you know, empathy kind of thing. But it does in general kind of create an equanimous compassion, you know. Right. And I think, you know, with that type of practice, it sort of gives us a better picture of of dukkha. Not that only we experience it, but all beings experience this sort of unsatisfactory state and being willing to you know, to share sort of our contentment with others 
um, because we understand they're going through that same situation. I think that's, I think that's something that's sort of, I don't know. I think I sort of agree with you, you know, after I think about that is sort of loving kindness, you know, maybe like a broader version of it. It's just that my tradition is very picky and has a lot of lists. So it's like, nope, that's, that's compassion meditation. Oh, you're feeling the joy of someone else. That's mutual joy. That's joy. And then, uh, you know, so how does your, I'm just curious for this. How does your sort of like branch of Buddhism define equanimity? It would be, equanimity would be, I would define it as a sort of non-grasping understanding and acceptance of how things are in general. Um, And then when we apply that to the compassion mode, it's then essentially having a baseline compassion that extends to everyone regardless of our interaction with them immediately. And it's, it's, it's under at that moment when we're thinking about that person, we're understanding their place in the universe and our place in the universe, the whole big thing, you know, past whatever immediate relationship we have with them. Um, and we're often viewing them as a Buddha themselves, you know, and we're, we're understanding recognizing a potential for enlightenment in them. Um, and this is kind of a hallmark of Tibetan Buddhism or Bajrayana Buddhism in general is sort of this immediate raw emotional thing and using that as a transformative tool. Um, that would kind of, I would say, be like what makes that so clearly a Tibetan practice is we're taking this ugly thing and we're saying, okay, I'm going to use this feeling that doesn't feel good for a good end. Right. Um, and equanimity sort of from the Theravada perspective is it's, is it's not just a neutral feeling, so to speak. It's also an unbiasedness, which you touched yeah. on is, you know, you're giving this out to all beings regardless of your relationship with them. And I think that's an important point to make is that if you're being biased in your practice there, you're not practicing equanimity according to a strict definition. Um, so that's something to be aware of, um, even for you and I. Yeah, and I I think in general, and this is kind of a harder, vaguer. I think you said it right. It's unbiased. I, it's calm. You know, there's excited, deep, moving sort of empathy that we feel sometimes. But I think that equanimity is calm. It doesn't have the sharp edges on it. You know, a right. little bit. Yeah. All right. So this brings us to the biggest question of all, at least according to one of my history professors, is. So what? Why is this even important? And uh, to be honest with you, I use this quite a bit. And sometimes uh, my college professors aren't very happy with me when I ask these questions. Um, So the so what question, I'm going to answer it this way. In my opinion, the practice of meta can provide a foundation for everything that we do. Um, This is especially important for practitioners because the more we do things out of goodwill, the higher probability we have for desirable consequences in this life and the next. Ultimately, as a lay person, that is my goal. Um, I'm not a monk. I'm not looking for enlightenment yet. Uh, But to bring out the best qualities in myself in an effort to improve my circumstances at a later time so that when I do put all my energy into awakening and enlightenment, it's not a crap ton of steps that I have to take. 
Um, it actually gets me closer to goal. And as His Holiness the Dalai Lama said in many ways to Nirvana, even small steps in the direction of the wholesome are steps toward awakening. And that's not verbatim, that's sort of like summary version. Uh, so if there is one practice that anyone can do for self-improvement, Buddhist or not, as well as for spiritual improvement, uh, I would say that meta loving kindness, goodwill is at the top or at least darn close to the top of that list. It is also considered one of the divine abodes in Theravada Buddhism, leading to a much higher godly rebirth. Uh, so a person who develops metta to a high degree just increases the probability of rebirth in that plane. And that's a complete, you know, that's another can of worms. But as always, we got to be mindful of our intention when we engage in this practice. Are we engaging in metta meditation with the thought, oh, I am practicing metta to become a god? Then that taints the experience and the karma that's being formed. You do not need 100% intention being pure, but it cannot be 100% selfishness either. So, yeah, in the in the Bajrayana tradition, it's a little different because we are effectively looking for enlightenment now in this life. Um, we don't necessarily kind of have the concept that, you know, we need to be a monk to achieve enlightenment, which is way different from Theravada Buddhism. Um, but the entire basis of our pursuit of enlightenment is compassion so you know you could say meta it is meta it is we uh, the only reason we're doing it is to help others also reach that enlightenment so for us we can't do any practice really without the compassion um so you know we often start doing the kind of calm abiding you know focused meditations and things like that but that quickly turns into compassion and compassion remains this root thing. Even when we're talking about big concepts like, you know, emptiness or no self or these things that seem like these like kind of dense philosophical abstract, blah, blah, blah things. You'll see that they always are paired with compassion. And that, that often is sort of a disconnect for practitioners when they go and they go, and I ask this question too, you know, why are we talking about this kind of abstract philosophical concept and then saying, and we're, and we're talking about this because we love everyone. The, like the, the bridge wasn't there for me for the longest time until you start realizing, oh, when you don't have this concept, you suffer. There is a compassionate part of that. Um, Overall, and, and to, to be clear, the why question, like the why is this important, is the best question ever. That question should be asked for everything. So I love this question. And uh, so, yeah, that's my Bajrayana, you know, big answer to that question. On the simple, dumb, Chris the electrician answer, um, why is this important? Um, fostering meta as our baseline for life makes life so much easier if our default is compassion and if we know truly and deeply we are acting or trying to act from compassion it's hard to feel lost you know like honestly i don't wake up 
or feel a lot of existential dread in my life. I don't have a lot of existential crises in a way. Um, and maybe everyone, you know, feels that way all the time, but I don't know. But in my own life, when I become discouraged by like the daily minutia things like work problems or personal problems, or, you know, a mistake made or something like that, and I'm feeling down, all the first question I ask myself is, are you maintaining compassion? Or, yeah, you did some dumb thing today and you made some mistake, but were any of them done from a bad place? Were you doing it from a place of ill will? And if I retain loving kindness and if I am acting from a place that doesn't have that ill will, there's just so much comfort. I don't know. Like, I don't question things as much. I'm not drug down into the minutiae, you know, it just kind of stops and it gets reframed as like, I tried and I tried to be compassionate and I don't know, like it just, it has been extraordinarily liberating and simplifying for me. And I think, I think almost anyone can benefit from that. Yeah. And I think also, I don't think anyone would ever come up to me and be like, I, I want to be more angry you know, I got to be angrier than I, than I am. I think people want that peace and that tranquility. And I think loving kindness, goodwill, meta in general, compassion, they help us get to that state. And like you said, you know, if you practice enough, it's sort of like second nature. You don't even have to think about it. You're already sort of there. And, you know, it's easier to redirect yourself if you do get angry and just be like, okay, what is my position here right now? And then reflecting on that. Yeah, and I and I'll admit, like I this is a bit of a segue here, so I'll keep it short. Like I definitely I've seen the other end of that. I've I have had a tumultuous relationship with anger because I'll I'll admit I'm a kind of angry person by default. Um and there have been times in my life I've experimented with anger and thought, like, no, I want to be more angry. I want to give in and use this energy and blah, blah, blah. And it sucked. I hated it. I was I was upset all the time. Um, So someone who's tried that experiment, don't do it. Um, And I think uh, there are elements of our culture that can sometimes kind of lionize or hold that up or celebrate that kind of anger. And yeah, I, I think, I think overall though, if we look past that and if we kind of foster deep universal loving kindness life just gets so much easier it's so much more simple like the checklist of your day is just was i was i trying to be kind yes good that's it it's so easy you know yeah don't give in to peer pressure to give in to anger because we see that a lot in television you know yeah. something goes wrong people get angry they start yelling at each other just because someone else do is doing it doesn't mean you have to and it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do yeah. for that given situation. So I guess you could say, take a chill pill. Yeah. All right. So um, that's it for our episode on meta. So let's just give a little rundown of what we're going to be doing in the future. One is in the near future because it's my responsibility. So uh, for the filler episode, which is sort of like the express Buddhism, uh, I'm going to talk about the importance of reflection, not only for a Buddhist practice, but for someone that's sort of experimenting. Uh, so, like I said, loving kindness, we're reflecting on ourselves first. Do we have those feelings toward ourselves before we expand it to others? Uh, so I'm going to go over that. And 
one of the huge reasons that uh, reflection is important is because we have the three marks of existence or what is it called? The three characteristics or, you know, there are different sort of translations of it. That being impermanence. And then our friend Duca shows up again and also not self, which is very difficult. So it's going to be the 2.75 characteristics because Chris and I are going to gloss over the no self emptiness one and going to do a separate episode for that one. So near future importance of reflection. And then Chris and I are going to delve into the 2.75 marks of existence. Nice. All right. So that's it. That's the conclusion. So until next time, everyone take care of yourselves. I am super Dharma bro, Kevin. I am super Dharma bro, Chris. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Now, what I suggest you do is this. Have yourself seated with your back as safe as possible, but not stiff. Now, see how you feel. Don't put words on Just feel. But if you can't help words running in your head, don't interfere.